Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Once again this week, the Intercom Communications team has been working to find the information that you need to know and getting you the people that you need to hear from. This week, they will include doctors and nurses, some of them who are right on the front lines. We're going to hear from Intercom's Doc and Jesse. They caught up with a family therapist. Also, Intercom's Rocky and Lissa will be talking with the president and CEO of Geisinger. And we also have to mention that if Mother Earth is your one thing, coming up on Wednesday, the 22nd, it's Earth Day and we'll have a little bit of Earth Day information for you as well. But first, starting off, we're going to hear from Intercom's Webster and Nancy. They had the opportunity to catch up with a local nurse who is serving on the front lines in New York City. What Brianna Marie Lowry has to tell us will certainly put things in perspective. Brianna Marie Lowry, local nurse, she's also from Jessup, Uh, but uh, works at St. Joe's Center, but she is now an RN and she's on deployment, as they call it, with crucial staffing working in New York City to assist the healthcare workers battling COVID-19. So Brianna Marie Lowry, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Brianna, how long are you you in New York City? How long have you been working there now? Uh, I believe it's been 11 days. It's 11 long days. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bet, I bet. So tell us about your experiences. Like, how, what are the you know the work conditions, the living conditions? Just uh, give us the big picture here. So, with the relief company that we're with, we are to do twenty-one days straight of twelve-hour shifts. That's um, grueling. Yes, so it's very long. We leave. Uh, fortunately, I'm on day shift, so we leave at seven a.m. and we don't get back until ten p.m. So it's wake up, eat, get your coffee, run to the bus, get there, um, and then you're in for a very long day. Um, but let's, watching, let's, what's that? I was just going to say, talk a little bit about that last, I think it was yesterday where you had posted about um, just, you know, how serious the situation is there. Yes. Um, so it's very hard to watch, you know, obviously I haven't worked with these people very long, but to watch, you know, you just get 
you, you pray and you want these patients to be able to do well. And unfortunately, that hasn't been happening as frequently as we would like. Um, and I just wish people would take it more seriously. You know, they're out and they're still, you know, going to parties and meeting with people out, you know, outside of their homes. And it's just, I don't feel like people are taking it as seriously as they should. And being on the, you know, medical aspect, it's really frustrating because I'm seeing people, you know, we're trying to revive these people. We're trying to save these people. And it's really hard because that doesn't always happen. Because people are quarantined or, you know, uh, limiting uh, contact, I know you're saying, um, you know, there are those who are not. Uh, they're so disconnected from what is going on on what we're calling uh, the front line. So if you can just uh, tell us uh, about the situation there. Are you working with COVID patients right now? I am, yes. I'm currently working in a PICU. Um, so, and a lot of patients are rule out COVID. So even if we're not you know, they're not diagnosed with COVID just yet. We're still treating them as as if they are. Well, what does that treatment consist of? I mean, if you're not, if it's not a definite diagnosis, well, what do you do for them? So as far as treating them as they are, it's to protect us and, you know, the next patient that we're going to go into because we don't want to expose ourselves and then expose, you know, a patient who may be negative. Um, so treating them as if they are is... What I mean is isolation to make sure that we're not spreading this to another patient who doesn't have the virus. Um, a lot of patients who do have the virus are requiring, you know, high flows of oxygen, ventilators, CPAPs. Um, so a lot of these patients do need, you know, to be in the hospital for these things. And a lot, even the, you know, the medical medical surgical floors where you know doctors aren't used to treating certain things I'm in a picky right now and these doctors are taking care of patients up to 40 years old and I'm sure that they weren't expecting that but right now it's just everybody it's like all hands on deck and they're just doing their best they can to take care of as many patients as they can. You know, the PICU turned into basically up to an adult ICU as long uh, with children in it as well. So everyone's just trying to work together and trying to be understanding to help as many people as possible. Tell us about your decision to go there because um, when you talk about 12 hour days, 21 days straight, it, it seems to many people to be a you know very tough situation. So um, what was your thinking going into this? My thinking was that I couldn't imagine being a nurse and working how these nurses here are working and not having anybody helping. You know, I, I would just hope that if, you know, Scranton got as bad as it was here, which I'm praying it doesn't, but if it did, that, you know, nurses would come and help relieve us because there's, and you know, and it's not just the long hours, but a lot of these nurses, you know, got sick and a lot of people got the virus. You know, I, I worked with a nurse um, a couple of days ago and she was asking how my family responded to me going. And obviously my mom was, you know, very upset and didn't want me to go. And then once, you know, she realized that I was going no matter what, she was supportive of my decision, even though she was worried and upset. And that nurse had told me that she just lost her husband two weeks prior to the virus. And it's just, you know, these nurses are losing coworkers, they're losing their family members. You know, a lot of them are getting sick. And, you know, there are 
some that are recovering, which is great. But I just couldn't imagine the entire aspect of everything that they're going through. And I just felt that they needed help, and they do. Mm-hmm. We've heard a lot, uh, we've, a lot of us have become uh, familiar with some of the vernacular PPE, personal protective equipment. What's, how's the availability of that? So I'm very fortunate on the unit that I'm in. Um, we have had everything yesterday. We did run out of some things. Like we didn't have the protective booties, which is what goes over your shoes. Um, we didn't have hairnets, which cover your head. Um, I did bring some of my own supplies with me. Uh, so it's, it, it is scary to see what's going to happen in the future because I don't know how supplies are going to work or, and you know, there's, there's other floors where I'm getting on the bus and, you know, people that came here with me with this company are saying that, you know, they didn't have gowns or they were expected to, you know, wear a gown multiple times and that's just not how PPE is supposed to be used, but in a crisis situation, it's, we're just doing the best that we possibly can. We, we have heard, and, and this is one of the things you had talked about on your social media account as well, and that is that uh, some people are saying, oh, what's happening there is overhyped. It's media hype. It's not really that bad. What would you say to anybody who says that? It's, it's probably worse than the media. Um, and this is where I'll probably get emotional because it's hard to see. Um, I promise you there's certain things that you'll just never forget that you've seen. You know, um, doctors doing multiple rounds on CPR on a patient trying to save these people. And for someone to say that it's not as bad or it's the media hyping it is completely ignorant if you're not living through it. If you don't have a medical background, if you haven't seen it with your own eyes, because it's exhausting. And, you know, we're here just trying to save these people and people who aren't taking this seriously is just... I just feel like that's disrespectful to those who, you know, are trying to help the problem. You've mentioned now on the other side, obviously, you know about the uh, the love and the outpouring of support you're getting, obviously, from not just the people in New York, but from people all over the uh, country. Um, it is moving. And you mentioned this as well. Uh, when you hear the cheer of the New Yorkers, is that is still happening when you're reporting for work or leaving your shift? Yes. So um, I'm actually on a strange shift. I'm 8 to 8.30 here. Everyone else in the other hospitals are 7 to 7.30. So I they, they, I don't think the New Yorkers realize my time, but for the 7 o'clock, yes, they're cheering. And the fire department is showing up at, you know, some of the hospitals and they're thanking them. And, you know, firefighters even said, like, you know, you've been here for us for 9-11 and we're going to be here for you. It's just really great to have the support because it is, it's exhausting. We're tired, um, but we go back every day and do it all over again because it's who we are. It's what we do. You're making such a difference, uh, Brianna Marie Lowry. Thank you so much for taking the time out. You've got such uh, you know little downtime, and we appreciate you spreading the word. If you want to just give a message to others, you talked about how important it is for them uh, to follow social distancing guidelines. If you want to just reiterate what you think uh, people should be doing. Absolutely. Um, I know it's hard not seeing family members and loved ones and friends and being lonely and feeling like you're caged in your house. But I promise you, it's so much better than your loved one that 
you know, has an underlying condition that wouldn't be able to survive COVID, you know, if you did get it and you didn't have symptoms or you had mild symptoms and you passed it along to this family member, um, it's, it, you know, these people are dying alone in the hospital because you're, we're not allowed to let family members in. You know, I mean, we're there with them, but as far as a loved one, and, and it's just something that I wouldn't, I just don't want to see people go through and to just be safe and to stay with social distancing and to not go shopping every single day just because you're bored and to wash your hands and to protect yourself. Brianna, thank you so much. A big thank you for all you're doing. Um, It's really just uh, amazing that there are so many people like you who are helping out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again and all the best to Brianna Marie Lowry for joining us today on Special Edition. Coming up next, it's Intercom's Rocky and Lissa, and they had the opportunity to talk with the president and CEO of Geisinger. Dr. Jaywan Rue, the president and CEO of Geisinger, on with us. Dr. Rue, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to do this because I know your schedule is probably crazy. How are you holding up and have you slept at all in the last month? Well, we have a great team, and I I think a big shout-out goes to our team. We have a lot of people working tirelessly, um, obviously an unprecedented time, obviously a a huge need to all be pulling on the many different areas where COVID impacts us and our communities, and, you know, we're proud to say we've been doing that. I think the other big shout-out here goes to the communities themselves. We've just seen an outpouring of support. I know that everybody trying to do their best with the physical distancing efforts, and I know that's not easy. Really appreciate that because that helps health systems like ours prepare from a capacity standpoint, prepare from a testing standpoint, and prepare from a treatment standpoint. And so all of those things coming together, I think, um, you know, we'll be we'll get through it as a community, but it really has been a team effort across everybody at Geisinger working closely with the community partners. And how would you say the team is holding up their mindset? I mean, they're working tirelessly and we cannot thank them enough. How do they feel to see the community reaching out and showing them that love and trying to do their part? I think that's the kind of thing that really encourages folks to seeing that outpouring of support that they're being appreciated for what they do. I think especially in the beginning, as there was a lot more unknown than known, that makes for some anxiety and stress because anytime you're in an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, you know, we as human beings don't prefer those kinds of environments. But as we've gotten familiarity with what the disease looks like, what the virus looks like, and and clearly we were not out of the woods and And also, clearly, there's still a lot of uncertainty from a clinical aspect. But I think just having the familiarity of having an approach, a protocolized approach around how we care for these people if and when they do land in the hospital, and then how we monitor them for the ones that are okay to be self-quarantining out in the communities, I think those have been the areas where our focus has been. And, Doctor, uh, from your perspective, where are we right now in Northeast PA as far as flattening the curve? I'm seeing all sorts of different numbers and statistics. And Yeah, you know, Rocky, it's tough to say is the short answer. I wish I had a better crystal ball. I mean, we have our own data analytics and predictive modeling 
There are many academic organizations throughout the country that do their own version or methodology around how they're trying to predict. I know that we still look like in the Northeast, at least with our facilities and and campuses, it looks like we're still on the upswing. And I think for weeks to come, I would imagine that that will be the case. But can we get a rate of slowdown at least so that as we get into the end of April and early May, can we start seeing that slowdown? I think it's still early to say in a couple weeks we'll have a slightly better sense, but right now it still looks like we're on the upswing. How important is, is it then for uh, you know, our listeners to wear masks while in public? Uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up because we get asked a lot, well, what can we do as a community? What can we do to help masking and, and maintaining that distance of six feet being apart, limiting to an absolute bare minimum of essential trips out of the home? Those are the things that the community can do. Obviously, if you have access to protective equipment, bringing those forward helps anybody, whether that's masks or other uh, face shields, things like that. And we've seen that with local businesses that do have a little bit of their own inventory of masks or face shields, they've really stepped up. And and I know that even our partner, other health systems around the area, they've been appreciative, as have we, because those efforts really help all of us. Right. Dr. Root, let me ask you this. As a member of the local media, we always try to help. We try to calm people down, keep them in the loop. But I feel like sometimes the media makes things worse. Is there anything you wish we would start saying or stop saying? You know, I think it's really important to make sure people stay informed. And I think there are a lot of really good sites. The good thing about this, we all have access to a lot of information. I think that's also the bad side because sometimes (laughs) that information, it could become a sea of information and it's difficult to take away a very clear message. If, If I had one ask, the more you could spread the the word around the importance of that distancing effort. Yes, we all acknowledge that that's not easy to do, but it's very important. It buys everybody time to get the kind of testing and supplies and resources and capacity planning in place so that as a community, we can mount the kind of response that's going to really help to bend the needle on this. Where are we in Northeast PA on flattening the curve as opposed to where we were last week? Well, you know, it's somewhat reassuring just seeing the national numbers. And I think the national numbers have been driven largely by places like New York and some of these other earlier hotbeds, maybe I'll call it that, whether it's New Orleans or Seattle or some of these other markets, Detroit, Chicago. I know that they've reported that the curve, so to speak, has flattened a little bit. And I think as a result, the overall country curve has flattened a little bit because those numbers are such a big part of the overall country. But I think it's important that these dynamics are very local. And so it's important to track what's going on within the state of Pennsylvania. And believe it or not, even more to get narrower than that, because Pennsylvania obviously is driven in large part by a lot of what's going on in Philadelphia but we know that our local dynamics may or may not follow those same trends. So what we're seeing this week, kind of consistent with last week, is is that we still continue to see climbing case counts in the northeast, so Luzerne and Lackawanna counties. And then in the other areas that we serve, still some cases, but not a precipitous growth. And at the same time, I think up in our Scranton, so Lackawanna County, we may be seeing the beginnings of a slowing down. We're not sure. It's still too early to say. 
but Luzerne County seems to have kind of picked up speed to make up for that. So these trends will continue to define themselves, and it may be a little bit too early to tell, but, you know, that's what we're keeping our eyes on. So what kind of message do you have for anyone either not practicing good social distancing or wearing masks, wearing gloves? Because still, you know, I'll see photos on Facebook at grocery stores without any protection whatsoever. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. We're still seeing a mixed bag, but generally speaking, I think people are taking it up a little more than what they were doing, let's say, three, four weeks ago. The distancing efforts are being taken more seriously, so that's a good thing. But at the same time, there's always room for improvement, limiting trips outside the home. And even when doing that, you know, one person in the household going and masking, ideally, those are the kinds of things we'd love to see. We're all in this together. I mean, there's no better illustration of the fact that the entire communities are in this together because our behavior affects what happens to our neighbors or, you know, our family uh, behavior affects what happens to those down the street. It's illustrated pretty well by something like what we're experiencing with COVID. And, and we've been trying to get out there with public service announcements, op-eds in the local papers, We're just doing our first community-facing town hall, virtual town hall, to try to keep reinforcing these messages around what people can do to help. And all of those things are some of the key points that we keep hitting on. How can we access that virtual town hall? That's really cool. Yeah, we're going to do it on the Facebook platform because we think it's got the best penetration across our communities. So Dr. Rue, unfortunately, I have a couple of friends and family members with coronavirus. And the rumor that everyone loves to repeat is that if you get coronavirus once, you can't get it twice. Is that true? You know, the jury's still out on this. I, I mean, we're, we're tracking it, as you can imagine, the whole notion of can you get it again? Some of the reports out of other countries where they've said that there's been a resurgence even after people have gotten the the virus before, I think it's unclear exactly what that means. Okay. Does resurgence actually mean the same thing as reinfection? I don't think so. Reinfection would mean you get the symptoms again, you're at risk of the COVID kind of disease course again versus resurgence or having the virus rear its head again or whatever is just shy of that. It may not be a full-blown infection, but maybe it manifests in other ways. A great example is chickenpox. Many of us have had chickenpox as kids. That typically means you don't get the full outbreak of chickenpox again, but the virus remains in your system and could have a resurgence later in life, and it could show up as shingles. We don't know if it's something like that versus a full-on reinfection with the virus itself. So I think those things are still remain to be seen, and we're closely tracking it, as you can imagine. And I think the entire industry is very curious about that. And the science will will inform us as we get better with antibody testing and so forth, which can really definitively tell us, has someone been infected or not? And uh, is this a resurgence? Is it a reinfection? I think those are the kind of questions that we'll see a lot more information about. And, Doctor, a lot of people are freaking out when the news broke about the uh, testing site that's going to be set up, I believe, Sunday at Mohegan Sun Arena. Are you are your people involved with that at all? Can you assure our listeners that it's going to be safe? Because, you know, there's big concern about the testing site being so close to a shop, shopping areas. 
Yeah, we don't have the details on that, but I can tell you that the testing sites that we've put in place, it addresses exactly the concerns that you're talking about. We first do a pre-screening for symptoms or not to see if they meet criteria for testing. So it's very important still to be very criteria-based in the testing. And then at the same time, if they do have symptoms, we take, and there's a lot of carefully thought through process around making sure people are in a separated environment, the folks doing the testing obviously wearing all of the right protective gear. Oftentimes we have them step into something that looks like a phone booth that's got kind of plexiglass with two armholes where the screener can reach up and do the screening. Those are the kind of steps we've done, we've taken. The other is a lot of our testing sites, it, it is uh, pre-scheduled. So if a physician or one of our hotlines identifies that someone is the right testing candidate, we pre-schedule them so that we don't end up with long lines or queues, which, which would obviously fly in the face of all the distancing efforts. So testing is not one of these things that I think you just kind of do. I think there's a lot of planning and preparation and thoughtfulness that goes into at least how we've done it, and I don't know the details about how the Mohegan Sun testing event is going to go down, but I would imagine that they would have done similar kinds of planning and thinking. Well, Dr. Rue, you gave us really, really good stuff here. Thank you so much. It's an important time to get this information out there, so we appreciate you all helping us do that. Please do convey our gratitude and endless thanks to your staff. We speak on behalf of all of Northeast PA. We're just so grateful for everything you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Dr. Rue for joining us on Special Edition. Now, don't go away. Doc and Jesse talk with a family therapist if you've had enough of togetherness at home. And we'll also hear from Dr. Arnold Baskies. He is a cancer specialist and talks about cancer patients and COVID-19. Next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition and thanks for joining us. Now we're going to turn things over to Intercom's Doc and Jesse. They caught up with family therapist Brian McHugh. And if you have questions about family togetherness, he has the answers. A lot of people, man, we're all stuck at home. You know, Jesse's telling us the numbers and it's, you know, people that are not going to work and the numbers are huge. And now it's going into week number four and uh, people are starting to get on each other's nerves. So we have a therapist on with us this morning. His name is Brian McHugh. And Brian, should we be using coping skills? With the pandemic and the working from home, I think there's a lot of stress and it can cause your body to react or to overreact in some pretty significant ways. There's a lot of physical signs and a lot of them mimic coronavirus, the shortness of breath, muscle pains, headaches, that kind of thing. And so I think coping skills are important with being isolated. There's a higher risk of alcohol abuse and use, arguments with loved ones and risk-taking behavior. So coping skills are extremely important. Are there signs to look for? Maybe it's another family member. Like I, I want to say that I've got it all together and I know I don't, but I notice I'm having a tough time sleeping. I hear that's one of the things that's happening. It's really hard to figure out sometimes when you yourself are, are stressed or kind of overwhelmed. I think there's definitely signs. Some of them are physical signs. Also compulsive buying or like I know everybody's heard about like people going to the grocery store and buying 14 big packs of toilet paper. The compulsive Facebooking or checking of news is another sign as well. Are they isolating? What's the common sense thing to do at that point? 
I think really it's important to check in with your loved ones in terms of like where they're at and just in the things that you see. Try to put boundaries around some of those things. Like if you notice that they or you are checking the internet, maybe you only check up on the news half hour every day. You as a family decide to do that. What about emotions, Brian? Like, so for example, I'm someone who I let an emotion course through my body. I let it all out and then I move on to the next thing where my husband is a little more of someone who's stoic and kind of keeps everything bottled up. How do you reach that happy medium to find what's... I guess the new normal. I think the challenges that men and women face will probably generally be a little different. But I definitely think if you have somebody who's more stoic and who's maybe not quite as open in terms of those discussions, you can still check in with them or even attempt to elicit feelings whenever possible. Maybe even if he's not saying, hey, you know, I'm feeling a little out of control. I'm feeling really scared right now. Maybe if you notice some of those things, you just say, hey, you know, let's go take a bike ride. Let's get our mind off of things. We're talking to Brian McHugh, who's a therapist. How about your kids? Should you let them know what's going on in the world around them right now? Or is that just a conversation for mom and dad? quick answer is it depends. I think it depends on the age of the kid that you have. I think if your child is older, middle school or high school age, it makes sense to kind of share what's going on in the world around them in a straightforward kind of way. Children can definitely tell a difference. They're not going to school. They're kind of around the house all the time. And so they may not understand the idea of a pandemic when they're younger, but we can still talk to them about what's going on. Yeah, no, and, and Jesse, in your house, I mean, you know, Charlie was used to going to daycare and loved it. And now and everything... every day he will ask, Mama, daycare open? Daycare closed? Yeah, of course. So for the younger kiddos, I mean, it might make sense to find books that are related to that kind of thing, just to explain what's going on and, hey, you're going to stay home for a time and hang out with Mommy and Daddy, even making them with your children. Brian, well, let me ask you one last question here. What do you think it's going to be like now for people, first responders in the medical field? They're getting so overworked right now with everything going on. And obviously, they're all going to need therapists, right, when all is said and done? Well, and I think that it's particularly difficult for them right now because they've got to work. They've got to keep going. They're not in a position where they're really sheltering in place. For them, I think the same kind of coping skills will work. They really need to check in with their families and their loved ones more, continue to exercise practice safety precautions, and reach out to a, a therapist if they need to. And therapists are all around, right? They're pretty easy to find? Yeah, I, and most therapists that I know and therapy groups are now offering telehealth as a response. So you can go to places like Psychology Today or other private practices and explore those options. I know for some folks right now, they're waiving insurance co-pays to make access easier. Well, Brian, thank you so much for all of the advice and tips and tricks this morning. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for uh, reaching out to me. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been hearing that people who have pre-existing conditions can have more problems, serious problems, if they come in contact with the virus. We're going to meet Dr. Arnold Baskies. He's going to talk with Intercom's Webster and Nancy about cancer patients in particular. We'll turn it over now to Webster, who has the doctor's information. Chairman of the American Cancer Society Global Cancer Control Advisory Council. He's an associate of Dr. Anthony Fauci, a name you may have heard recently. And he's joining us to talk about uh, the COVID situation and how it relates to cancer. Dr. Baskies, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Obviously, a lot of people are concerned about COVID-19, but uh, for those who are dealing with cancer, whether being treated or just finding out that they have cancer, uh, there are additional, obviously, worries about this. Uh, how is this impacting cancer patients and uh, the, the medical staff to treat them? First of all, the risk of COVID-19 is, is higher in patients who are have a problem with their immunity. Cancer patients we know who have undergone treatment or are undergoing treatment recently 
or have had surgery are are at increased risk. So what we do know, what we're pretty sure of is, is that we need a model for understanding what the risk is. So the best model that's available right now is from the Imperial College in London. They looked at a whole bunch of aspects of care and what the risks were, and they came up with the conclusion that most cancer patients are at a greater than in, of greater than 5% increased risk of death if they get infected with COVID. So that gives us a, a clue as to the fact that we need to be more uh, careful, if you will, with patients who have, who have, uh, who are either undergoing treatment now or have had recent surgery. So patients are, uh, who have cancer, uh, and especially if they're undergoing treatment currently, are at an increased risk to develop COVID, and they're at a slightly increased risk to have a, a, a poor outcome or severe uh, uh, response to getting the infection. Not a surprise. Um, we knew that that was going to be the case, and so we have to take special precautions. So that's what's going on now. When you look at the entire spectrum of the problem, however, um, as with any aspect of medical care, you have to look at risk and benefit. What's the risk-benefit ratio? So if a patient's undergoing current chemotherapy, for instance, uh, the, the individual patient and the individual oncologist and all of these decisions about treatment need to be made on an individual basis. So um, the best answer to the question is what to do. The best thing to do is to speak to your oncologist and see if there's a way that the treatment can be delayed if they think it's in the best interest of the patient. Nevertheless, the same recommendations apply, social distancing and, uh, and frequent hand washing for both the provider and the patient is extremely important. Someone undergoing chemotherapy, someone with cancer, are they in, in a worse state uh, in terms of su- Im- immunity suppression than someone else who is uh, suffering the same uh, condition for a different reason? Overall, as a group, yes, patients who have an, a malignancy are at, uh, have a depression in their immune response. As we age, we develop uh, what's called immunosenescence. In other words, our immune system becomes less responsive. And bear in mind that this particular virus is a brand new virus. It's never uh, affected human beings before. It is essentially a bat virus that got into the human species. So we have no innate immunity. So that's the reason why we, we are very concerned about patients who have cancer. So as we age, normally, we have what's called immunosenescence, or our immune response decreases. In the presence of cancer, that's, that's a little bit worse than what you would see in a, in a person who doesn't have uh, who doesn't have a cancer. But bear in mind that one third of the population of the United States, literally 80 million people, suffer from hypertension, and that's the most common comorbidity that we see with patients. Uh, overall. So if you add all those things together, the comorbidity of hypertension in most in, in one third of the population and patients who are getting chemotherapy or or radiation or recent surgery, then then that adds to the to the issue. But yes, as a rule, patients who have a malignancy have a, an increased risk of infection, not just from COVID, but from other things too. So it's an individual basis with your oncologist or you know whoever it may be that you're dealing with. Right. Think about this for a second. In the course of of, of treatment, 
there are always delays in, in providing radiation or chemotherapy. And it comes up with every single patient. Patients will develop a cold or they'll develop the flu. And so you have to delay sometimes. So this is not an extraordinary uh, uh, um, uh, event that a delay may, may be necessary. But yes, every decision has to be based on, on the individual patient. So you can't paint this with the same brush. But, you know, as with other aspects of care, telemedicine has become a big deal. And so we now have other, other options. You can communicate easier with physicians. In fact, doctors are being bombarded now with emails and, and, and text messaging. So the, the communication has also improved. So even though we're concerned, that doesn't mean that results will be worse. Um, in mm-hmm. telemedicine, my son happens to be a, a hand surgeon and, and uh, in a large group. And in their hospital alone, they had 3,500 telemedicine visits. So this is going to change also what, how we do things going forward with, the, with that aspect of care. So, and bear in mind that there's some other options. Not only can you speak to your own doctor, but the American Cancer Society has provided a hotline that we've had for years, the National Call-In Center, 1-800-227-2345. So even in the middle of the night, if you have a concern or a worry, you can call somebody and someone will pick up the phone and speak to you. So we have a lot of options here. Patients are not being left out, uh, hung out to dry or anything like that, but yes, as a rule, as with any aspect of care, you should speak to your individual physician about how to go forward. And many times we can delay a treatment for a finite amount of time. And let me mention one other thing, which is screening tests. Many screening tests, which let's say a mammogram, for instance, or a colonoscopy, was due to be performed in April. Let's just use that as an example. That can be delayed in most instances. Uh, for a month or so. Nothing is going to happen that's going to change the course of events that much that you can't delay a screening test and sometimes even diagnostic tests. Dr. Baskey's chairman, American Cancer Society, Global Cancer Control Advisory Council. Just want to let folks know uh, they can go to cancer.org uh, if they have any uh, questions. And you said there's also the hotline number? 1-800-227-2345. And that's available 24 hours, 24-7. Check the calendar. Coming up Wednesday, it's Earth Day. Now, of course, most things have either been canceled or postponed. That would normally happen in celebration of Earth Day. But if Mother Earth is your one thing, don't go away. Because another one of our intercom communications sister stations was able to reach out and bring us some great information. Don't go away. Now on Special Edition, we introduce you to 94.7 The Drive, Intercom's sister station in Washington, D.C. I'm Karina Delgado with 94.7 The Drive. Now, I know with the COVID-19 pandemic taking up so much of our mental space, it's easy to forget that things like Earth Day are right around the corner. But I am on the phone today with the Vice President of Conservation International to speak about our Earth, the environment, and the COVID-19 crisis, and how the two are inextricably intertwined. Hi, Shyla. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling, Karina. I'm doing really well, thanks. How are you? I am doing the best that I can every single day, just staying grateful and washing my hands. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Same here. If you could, just please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. Great, thanks. My name is Shaila Raghav. I am the Vice President of Climate Change at Conservation International, and my role is to oversee 
um, our climate change strategy and programs. Um, Conservation International is present in about 30 countries around the world, and we have um, our headquarters is in Arlington, Virginia. And our mission is really about protecting nature for the well-being of humanity. And so the types of solutions that I work on are stopping deforestation, providing support and guidance to governments and to local communities to find um, investment solutions, policy solutions to protect nature for a more sustainable and healthy future. Sure. Speaking of protection, we are all in protective mode right now. Protect our health, protect our families, protect our community. With that said, I think comes a sense of question and people are speculating on whether or not the COVID-19 pandemic is a result of climate change. Can you speak to that a little bit for me? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important question. And I think that our tendency is always to try to find connections between trends, but also to be able to find um, or or get some good news, right, or find a silver lining uh, amidst everything that we're experiencing. Um, there isn't really any strong evidence that climate change is a direct cause of the coronavirus and its spread. Um, but what we can what we do know is that climate change is um, has a direct influence on the migration of species. And so in particular, what we're seeing is that ranges of species, whether it's even trees and, and plants where they can grow or migratory patterns of species like fish or even birds and insects, these are all changing because of shifts in temperature and precipitation that is being caused by climate change. But I'd also like to highlight the fact that climate change is is something that could multiply the losses and damages in times of crisis. So imagine if on top of dealing with COVID-19, we were also experiencing a drought or cataclysmic fires like we saw in Australia or in the Amazon. It would really just have the impact of exacerbating those inequalities. For example, we have seen some um, unusual earthquakes as well as tornadoes happening right now. And as we experience in our own communities the COVID-19 crisis, I can only imagine the devastation somewhere that was, you know, hit by a tornado during a time like this. Exactly. And, and climate change can, can also affect human health even more by putting strain on vulnerable populations or even increasing um, things like heat stress or the spread of disease vectors uh, like mosquitoes that um, increase incidence of, of diseases like malaria. And so the human health implications are really going to be even more difficult to deal with when compounded with viruses and diseases like COVID-19. So I really think the main message here is that climate change and human health are um, inextricably linked. Mm. Now, what we're seeing um, as a result of people Uh, social distancing and isolating in their homes is that pollution levels have dropped around the world as people stay home. Is this a hidden benefit of the pandemic? Do you think this will inspire people to limit their fossil fuel use once things get back to normal? Yeah, I think that's that's also another another um, um, uh, trend that we're seeing so much in the news. And I think, as I mentioned, I think everyone's looking for something positive to come out of um, of, of all of the the negative consequences of COVID-19. But I wouldn't necessarily call the drop in air pollution levels a hidden benefit because they're likely just going to be temporary. And we haven't really, as a society, made the systemic shifts 
that are needed for these gains to persist or be sustained in the long term. So the the way that I'd rather look at some of these short-term benefits is to focus on on preparation and how we could have prepared better. So imagine if we had listened to the warnings from epidemiologists and others and, and prepared, right, five, six, 10 years ago, how different would that outcome have been um, in terms of how we're dealing with and experiencing losses due, due to this crisis right now? How would we have changed the future and how would we have acted to do that, um, even just so that little that the virus could be contained or mitigated and our economy could be more resilient and prepared for that? So I think with climate change, the timeline is very clear, and so are the consequences. Mm. So the question that we have now is, how will we use these next few years knowing what we know now and knowing that we have the opportunity to prepare better and to, to create a more resilient economy so that we, 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 we don't have to lose jobs, we don't have to decimate economy, uh, our economy, we can actually address the, uh, climate change by building new and clean and thriving economies. So that's really what I hope we can take away from um, our, our lessons from, from dealing with COVID-19. Oh, absolutely. Because learning from the tragedy is the most important part of triumph over adversity. That said, what can we do to make those preparations? Yeah. So in the next 10 years, the science is really clear. Um, Emissions need to be halved by 2030. So we, we basically have a decade to cut our emissions in half. And we know the types of solutions that that can get us there. So it's clean and renewable energy. It's greening our agriculture system and our food system through regenerative agriculture and shifting towards more of a plant-based diet, um, shifting to public transportation, um, reduction of overall consumption like plastics and other products that take a lot of energy to produce. So making those immediate changes now in our infrastructure, in our decisions, and our patterns today can set us up to be in a position to really achieve that outcome over the next 10 years. Um, The second thing I would say is that since climate change is fundamentally, like COVID-19, a global crisis, it's going to require worldwide cooperation and attention to really focus on on a coherent and, and coordinated global response where um, we can see a basis for, for global signals, global um, alignment and redirecting of financial flows. Um, and so that's the second thing I would say is just really band together um, um, as uh, through political signals and political processes that can help um, develop a global response. And then the last thing I would say is to support um, natural climate solutions, which includes planting of trees, restoration of natural ecosystems and protection of standing forests. This is really my personal passion um, because a third or more of the solution to climate change comes from protecting and restoring nature. Um, And guess what? These solutions can also help maintain um, the resilience of our planet, um, provide us with clean air and clean water, and might also very well prevent the spread of viruses that so severely affect human health as well. I absolutely agree 100% in that it is going to require everyone working together on the same page in order to surmount seemingly impossible feats, for sure. One last thing, Shyla, before uh, I let you go, what is one way individuals can give back to nature and be a part of the bigger climate solution at the same time? Yeah. 
2020 is such an important year. So I think making um, addressing climate change a priority, making it a voting issue, an investment lens when you're looking at where you put your investments, your retirement portfolios, um, make it demands that we that that we make as shareholders and consumers of many large companies talking about it more. There's really um, something that every single person can do, no matter what your skill set, to activate creativity and and kind of that ideation process of bringing solutions to the market. Um, the other thing that people can do is. Um, use a tool that we developed that is available on our webpage. It's a carbon calculator and it allows users to measure their carbon footprint and give back to conservation projects designed to keep forests standing and to help um, scale up restoration efforts. So um, listeners can visit conservation.org slash calculator. And after using the calculator and uh, assessing their carbon footprint, they can learn more about reforestation and conservation projects to which a donation can help um, support um, forests in the Amazon, in places like Peru or Kenya. Um, and so these are this is really something specific and tangible that, that everyone can do um, immediately um, and can also help us to maintain our uh, optimism, our hope, and our sense of community um, in coming together around addressing climate change and 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 protecting our planet for for our future. Oh, I absolutely love that. Okay, so while our listeners have you know a little bit of time on their hands and they're on their computers, they can check <laughs> out that carbon calculator. Can you give us the website one more time, please? Absolutely, it's conservation dot org slash calculator. Shyla, thank you so much for speaking with us today. You stay safe out there. Thank you, Karina. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.